He said rolling. <laughs> he said rolling. He said rolling. Did you want to do a meditation or just yeah. pop right in? Yeah, let's meditate. Okay. Why not? We're so relaxed. Meditative. <laughs> let's breathe. Let's breathe. Hey, Danielle. Victoria. Are you breathing? If I wasn't, then I'm like a zombie. Are zombies on the vibe? Yeah. Yeah, hi. I'm Victoria. I'm Danielle. <laughs> this is On The Vibe. Welcome. Victoria and I currently live in Los Angeles. LA, baby. But uh, we are Florida natives. Also, shout out to your your Texas friends. Yeehaw, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> we got a hybrid in the house. <laughs> hybrid in the His house. Victoria and I have been friends for a few years now. Like five, six? Like, yeah, it's We're been like a minute. real friends. Yeah. Mm. Besties. Besties. Uh, but we went to college together in Orlando, Florida. Orlando, Orlando, Orlando. What's the first thought that comes to mind when you think of Orlando, Florida? I could guess. Can you guess? Please don't say Disney. Well, I mean, what else? Yeah. Tourist trap, Universal, Disney. Humidity. Yeah, that's, see, that's what I think of when I think of Orlando, Florida. But you know, I also think of like progressive places to eat Truth. and spirituality. Very truth. We both Drum did. circles. We both found our spirituality in Orlando, Florida, yeah. actually. Separately, and it, it crossed paths quite a weaved. few times. We, had, we, we were woven, you know? So Melody and Natalie got started with Changes Ours a few years ago, and they've been advocating and promoting and educating people about how they can make change in the community. Mm -hmm. They were saying how they really wanted to have a platform, like a podcast. And I was like, well, (laughs) podcast, you say? You say. I think it's like a rippling effect uh, when you tap in to your fullest potential And obviously, it comes in waves. (laughs) Uh, We're not perfect. We're not here to be perfect, though. But we are here to grow and become better versions of ourselves. Really quick, you just said waves. I want to tap on waves. Because I feel like this is a little science-y. Science. The waves are everywhere. Everything. Everything acts in waves. Sound is wave. Light is wave. Frequency. Vibrations. Mm. That's the whole point. Vibrations. On the vibe. We live in vibrations and you have a vibration. And so I just think it's kind of funny that you're talking about it. Comes in waves. Life happens in waves. And and it is a rippling effect. Ripple. Uh, And, you know, the more you better yourself and your life, the more you can help others do the same Mm -hmm. for themselves. I think that's what Natalie and Melody have been trying and successfully doing with Changes Hours. And Mm -hmm. we're honored that they want us to be a part of what they're doing. And we are happy to be partnering with them to be doing what we've wanted to do. Danielle, who are you? Who am I? Why do you vibe? What what makes you vibrate, Danielle? Well, (laughs) for those of you who don't know me, for those of you who do, thank you so much for supporting us and for tuning in. The world only, you know, can continue going around if we support the people that we care about and support complete strangers that we feel we connect to in some level. 
Um, so I'm Danielle Engelman. I'm from the Miami area, uh, Pembroke Pines to be specific. The best way to describe me is I am a storyteller. I have been dancing and singing and acting for my entire life, honestly. And um, that's definitely what got me involved in, in, in wellness. I wanted to be as able as I could to do what I absolutely love to do, which ultimately is to be in movies and television. Um, movie musicals are definitely like my end-all be-all goal. But yeah, I was finding that, you know, in college, I got kind of stuck and stagnant after I kind of let myself go after a breakup. And that's kind of where I found wellness and and how to take care of myself. And um, that's when I learned about energy. I got really into yoga and I had a really lovely friend who I call my mentor, Kelly. Biggest shout out to you. Kelly and Ray of Light. Yes, Kelly Ray of Light. She did Look some her Reiki up. on me the first time I met her that mm. shook me to my literal core. Yeah, and Kelly's just this powerful, honestly, goddess that really opened me up. I mean, she, she likes to allow me to take the credit for my awakening, and I appreciate that, but really, she was... Uh, she was my guru, you know, and um, that began a whole world for me of, um, or a journey rather, that I'm still on, but uh, that really tapped me in. Mm. Victoria, <laughs> how are you on the vibe? What's your life like? What's my life? Okay, we'll sit back. No. <laughs> how am I on the vibe? Someday you wake up like knowing and understanding and seeing and vibrating so clearly and so effortlessly. And then other days Mm -hmm. you have to tap back into your roots Mm -hmm. and remind yourself what that is, what that, what you have to like teach yourself over again, which is kind of special since today's topic is education. I grew up in Texas slash Florida. I got into acting Early on, I was always performative, always performative, but... You? No way. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm really boring, so you guys <laughs> tune out now. Nothing's going to be animated whatsoever. But yeah, I was always performative and started acting when I was super young. My mom was not about that at first. Mm. She was not about that. She never wanted me to do that. So having that support system, I think, from outside peers and mm. and stuff, that's what helped me find my path. Find your vibe. Vi- find my vibe, totally. Mm. Um, and we both met at UCF, Orlando, Florida. Go Knights! Go Knights! And we, you wouldn't have heard of us until last year when we won a bowl. <laughs> yep. We're on the map now. We're on the map now. What was magical about our friendship is Victoria and I were a couple years apart in school. And we hung out with a very similar crowd, but, you know, kind of in passing. What was beautiful was that we both experienced Orlando together, but mostly individually and got to really tap into the beautiful community and miss victoria over here is just one of the most badass yoga instructors (laughs) honestly like i'm biased obviously but victoria's understanding of of the body and the mind and body connection is um truly uh inspiring wow 
That was so sweet. Thank you. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah, I started teaching yoga when I was, I think I was 19, 19, 20. Um, I had some serious eating disorders. I had bulimia and anorexia pretty much like married in the two when throughout college you you get all wrapped up in the stress of college and whatever whatever comes with that mm. you know staying up late just mm. terrible schedules if you can't afford college you're working at the same mm. time with a BFA something that is a a practice of art a practice of rehearsing you yeah. have to be in the studio space hours upon hours upon right. hours a day and you start to like I mean we were put in front of mirrors just to analyze and tear ourselves apart our right. work our craft was our bodies was ourselves and yeah. you hear that so often with actors and actresses and models but I think it's spilling over into everyday life now because society has just made it so taboo to look a certain way now on to the topic of this episode we have education, education. As, as the month of August for changes ours. So did you know that 14% of teachers resign by the end of their first year? Why do you think that is? If as a teacher, you don't have a good support system, yeah. it's the same kind of thing as a student going to school and not having a positive support system. Why would they want to be there? My college... And high school best friend Carolyn has been teaching remedial education for about four years now. So she teaches children with special needs. And she is really ready to just not be a teacher anymore. And it's really unfortunate because if you know Carolyn, you know she's this bright, bubbly, like ball of of smiles that loves kids, uh, loves to teach, and she feels like she's not appreciated by her administration she feels like she's not appreciated by some of the parents of the children and she really feels like she's not being appreciated by her district Mm -hmm. and she made a really good point the people who are voting for different uh, rules and regulations for these schools that are in these districts are not even in the classrooms they really have no rhyme or reason about what they're administering in these laws that they're passing and she uh is frustrated as she should be that these people are are delegating how she should dress how she should act in her classroom when they're not even there they're more worried about her outfits than how she's uh taking care of these children Hmm. it takes a special kind of person to to care for and nurture and teach Children with certain special needs. Oh, absolutely. I mean, think about it. When you go to school, you basically are going and sitting in the classroom of a babysitter on some level, in some instance. In some way, that person is there to watch you if you are in a classroom setting. That's what they're getting paid for. On top of the crazy curriculum that they're forced to teach in the span of how many months each semester? Mm. And... In addition to FCAT, well, we're speaking on Florida's terms, but standardized testing, the focus on standardized testing is so intense, so overhyped, so, I mean, gosh, I will never look back and think, thank God we sat in that room all day and took all those separate tests because I feel like such a better human. And you know, people, you know, in the education community, that has to be their main focus because if they don't 
receive as a school a specific percentage or grade, depending on how the the district or the state um, grades these schools' test results, they will lose part of their funding, which means that teachers have to pay more out of their pocket to supply these kids with what they need to learn the curriculum for these tests. Teachers should be one of the most well-paid people in the world because they are educating our youth and our youth is our future. Our youth is change for the future. Mm. And if we don't care, if we're not funding our teachers enough, if our taxes aren't going into those teachers' pockets, if they are paying out of their pockets, I'm sorry, that just rattles me, then we aren't supporting ourselves. We aren't supporting our future. And I know that we can sit here and we can talk about all the reasons why our education system is failing, but my question is how can we help it? How can we shape it? If there, if, if public school systems aren't working, what can people do? If, if we're trying to be on the vibe, how do we raise little vibey children? (laughs) How do we raise children that are spiritually intelligent, emotionally intelligent, able to grow up in an ever-changing technological society? How, how do we help ourselves? And if you think about the standardized tests that we have to take, I mean, it's been, it's been quite a few years for both Victoria and I, but, you know, the questions that they ask on these tests are just... They're they're trick questions, first off. (laughs) But like the curriculum that we're required to obtain to prepare us for these tests are not really setting us up for success for our future. We're not learning about taxes. We're not learning about mortgages. We're not learning about diet. We're not learning about exercise. Yeah, arguably we are required to do PE, but you know that there's those kids that really excel in all the sports that you do in PE, and there's those that fail PE because they're not runners. Uh, There was like a straight three years of my life where I would eat rice (laughs) because that was the only thing in the cafeteria that didn't look like it was moldy or, or rubbery. Styrofoam. Yeah, so yeah. True. And I remember in in elementary school, like every Friday was pizza day, mm-hmm. and the pizzas were disgusting. Um, they'd have like Jamaican beef patties, which oh god, those were so tasty. But that's <sighs> not a Danielle, you sound like you went to an actually really nice school. With you know, food. I was lucky. <laughs> I was really lucky. And I hated my parents for this because I wanted to stay in the public school system because that's where my neighbors were at. That's where my dance friends were at. And ironically enough, all those friends that I wanted to be in school with wound up transferring to my school. Oh, how funny. Um, my, my community in Pembroke Pines started a charter school. And so charter school is basically a private school that you don't pay for. The city pays for. So, uh, yeah, I I did go to a really, really nice school. So charter schools are an option. Charter schools, (laughs) magnet schools, monastery schools. Monastery, yeah. Those are all different schools that were implemented by someone... Basically having the same questions that Victoria and I are. Right. How can we change How can we make education system? better? Yeah. How, how can the system support and strengthen and revive rather than drain, destroy, mm. and ultimately create more problems than good? You have the dropout rate. Every year, over 1.2 million students drop out of high school. That's a student every 26 seconds or 7,000 students a day. 
Wow. 7,000 students a day are like, never mind, and they leave. They're like, this isn't on the vibe. This isn't on the vibe. I have to go find my vibe. Honestly, I support those kids, but at the same time, that's when you lead to dangerous activities like falling into drugs, falling into alcoholism, falling into... I mean, we have another little statistic here. One in five children show signs of mental health disorder, suicide, eating disorders, depression, bipolar disorder, PTSD, anxiety, autism, OCD. It's because there's too little training for teachers and administrations to handle these disorders. And there's not enough authoritative figures for these students. And by authoritative figures, I mean people that are trained. Yeah. To deal with these mental... Who understand... I mean, gosh. You put one person in charge of 26 kids in a classroom. Mm-hmm. Well, one in five. So let's... What's that math? That's like five kids who are really, truly struggling with some mm-hmm. sort of disorder. How is that teacher supposed to be trained and equipped to handle all of that? And then in addition to the rest of their children. So uh, I was reading... That the school in New Orleans that uh, Amanda Aiken is the principal or was the principal of had a trauma-informed school where all of the teachers are trained and informed, they're educated about how to deal with certain traumas and issues that come up in their school. And it was in a school that was uh, a poverty area low-income area. And so they had this, um, a multi-tiered system of support. And so, yeah, it's that whole, it takes a village mentality. Totally. And they kind of wanted everyone to be that village, whether it was the students, just students, the lunch ladies. Amanda talked about how she made an effort to every single morning. Greet each student after like they got off the bus and this principal would like hug them high five them yeah she wanted to instill the physical touch obviously in an appropriate way but <laughs> you know that that that's another talking about loving kids as best as we can here yeah you know that's another <laughs> sticky subject but she she wanted to instill that there was support the moment that they got off the bus, mm-hmm. regardless of what their family life was like, regardless of how they learn, where they came from, what they're dealing with at yeah. home, she's there. She supports. Yeah. And at when they go to school, they feel that support in everyone, not just in the principal, but in the lunch lady, because who knows, they may be helping out with lunch because if it's a village, if it's a tier system, if everyone is helping everyone, everyone is pitching in, brings us back to our primitive being, brings us back mm-hmm. to our our natural state of togetherness, mm-hmm. of oneness, of co-creating. And I really enjoy that for mm-hmm. my future children. I love that idea for sure. because it, it creates discipline at, at the point of chores and what we have to be responsible for for ourselves in order to be responsible for other being. It also creates connection and it also supports just like overall social development, which mm-hmm. I think that's important in public schools and in charter schools, in any sort of situation outside of homeschooling that is social. For sure. That would be the one thing that, for me personally, if I want my kid to grow up in an educational environment, it does need to be social. It does need to be proactive towards their social health. Yeah, and so when that... What she was describing is like a funnel system, this multi-tiered support system, where it starts at the top in the broadest 
area, the mm-hmm. village. And then, you know, when the village, so to speak, don't know how or aren't trained enough to deal or help out with a specific situation, they pass it on over. And so the next level would then be first responders, which can be anywhere or anyone from the school psychologist. It can be the school nurse. Um, or if they need to bring in the paramedics or, mm. or what have you. And then even more specifically, those people who are trained in those different modalities of healing can suggest what type of clinical care that is required for that individual child. Because each child is going to deal with, could be the same issue, but they're going to deal with it differently because totally. that's how human beings work. Speaking of being different on the level of a human being, you learn differently. Mm. Each person learns differently too. And how can you tailor make an educational curriculum that fits each type of learning? There are visual visual learners. There are active doing learners. Kinesthetic that, yeah, learners. Yeah, I mean, you... There's so many different types of ways to consume education. I think implementing some sort of plan in our curriculum, in our school systems, where there are different modalities of teaching the same subject, but for these different children would be really helpful. Yeah. For those kids that are hands-on, figure out how to teach the subject where they're creating and they're making things with their hands. The ones that are visual create some sort of PowerPoint that goes hand in hand with that same sort of topic. I know nowadays you can have your iPads Mm -hmm. for students. I don't know which schools are getting that funding and which aren't. That's another thing is there's not a whole lot of quality in the educational system. Mm -hmm. I think some states have it much better than others. I know I came from Texas and then to Florida and Texas's educational system was so much more intense. Really? Oh my gosh. Everyone was a genius. It was, (laughs) well, I wouldn't say that, but I don't know. I would say that the, it was just a little bit more rigorous as far as like homework, collective group work, certain aspects. There was also more courses offered. So I think there's just not a lot of consistency in education. I think that our education system has dramatically reduced its value by implementing these educational reforms. I remember in 2001, I was in third or fourth grade when uh, the Bush administration implemented the No Child Left Left Behind. behind, That royally shifted our school system. It required... Title I schools, which are usually the lower budget, lower income schools, to have a certain grade point average based on their standardized testings. And if they didn't hit a certain standard two years in a row, funding was... Less funding. Yeah, funding was cut. So that makes sense, right? Let's uh, take money away from schools that desperately need it. Need the help, need the support need more funding for their teachers to Mm. provide better education for their students to thrive. And think about it. As a teacher, which I am not, but after speaking to some of my teacher friends on the top on the subject, after, you know, watching news over the course of many years, if the school that you're working for reduces its budget, that means that if you want to adhere to a certain level or certain standard of teaching, which good teachers will, Mm. you're going to have to be putting more money in. 
And usually when budgets are cut, where does where does the cut happen first? The staff. Mm-hmm. Who's the staff? The teachers. teachers. So if these teachers want even pencils. I remember our teachers in elementary school when this was implemented. They were like, yeah. how are we going to afford pencils? Yeah. The kids have to bring their pencils. Which, I mean, is not really a problem if you're in a more well-off area. Middle class. But, you know, for these schools that are not receiving the good test scores, the income level in that community is already low. The teachers are being paid less. No one has the money or desire to supply children with what they need to to learn the curriculum that is supposed to propel them forward, but really is just to get a test score for the school, for the government. The funding that the schools are getting after they get cut, especially, goes straight to the standardized testing. It goes straight to test prep. It goes goes into the football team. It goes into the sports and the extracurricular that get more funding to the school, which is really unfortunate. And I think some schools choose to fund the sports teams because if they go to a certain level in the sports competitions, so to speak, then those schools... We're clearly... (laughs) We're so athletic. Right. (laughs) The the sports competitions, the finals. Well, you you catch my you catch my vibe, um, but yeah. So if these schools are putting their effort into the sports to get notoriety, to get you know attention on them in hopes for funding, then they're neglecting so many other areas that they could really help kids thrive in. And this is not to say that sports aren't important for some kids. Like that oh, totally. is some kids' vibes. Oh, and I—I sure. mean, I was a—I was varsity volleyball. I went to state competition for volleyball. Oh, yeah. Like, we were put on a pedestal in our school because yeah. we had so much success, and we brought in so much funding for the school. We had parades sending us off to games, yeah. and like because of the priority that we took. And and for for some kids, it was a great time for you, right? Like, oh, totally. It, but the theater kids and the chess team and the newspaper and everyone else that wasn't getting funding were looking at us with laser beam eyes because sure. there's no equality in that just yeah. because you have some some talented whoever's and for else. those kids that were into chess and and multicultural organizations even religious organizations in schools which i think if that's your vibe uh, having an extracurricular outside of school thing is 100% okay and should be praised if, if that makes you happy, if that's your vibe. But it's education in stability, in things that'll create stability in your future. Like yeah. learning how, how to do your taxes. Yeah. Learning how, okay, so yoga, hi, yoga, meditation, breath work. All of that can be useful in classrooms. 100%. All of that can be useful in the educational system at any level. I mean, goodness gracious, we should all be meditating. But especially being taught that at an early Mm. age, then it's just ingrained in you to understand how to sit in the middle of your thoughts. And Victoria and I were talking about this. You know, somebody brought to my attention um, on the Instagram poll that I made that punishment is at such a high level of attention in schools time out yeah you get a sticker you don't and i think that victoria and i both feel like the way schools can can get on the vibe (laughs) on in that level get on the vibe (laughs) school instead of 
teaching kids that they need to be in time out. They need to go and have time in, mm. you know, instead of reprimanding them, which if, if you're Love doing that. bad things, you need to, you need to speak up for Discipline them. Discipline is one thing versus you're wrong and this is right. You're we're, wrong. We're human. Right. Even yeah. as adults, we, we mess Our up. Our mistakes are a learning lesson and that needs to be implemented. I remember I would, I was the loud one. I was voted class clown. When I was growing up, I was in the corner with the boys because mm. I was cracking jokes when I was a little little prepubescent tomboy, me, little Vicky. I was annoying as crap, but <laughs> I didn't know any better. It wasn't because I was trying to be bad or I was trying to act out or I was being whatever. It's just my personality. And teachers would fail to see that. Teachers would think that I was somehow bad. So I'd always get reprimanded and disciplined and in a way that wasn't aiding my growth. It was kind of perpetrating what I was already dealing with at home was that I don't belong, that I'm wrong, that what I'm doing is somehow lesser than. And no human deserves to feel that way. No, especially children who are so susceptible. Susceptible little sponges. Yeah. These little baby sponges. They're just going to absorb everything you say to them. And you know, even younger children, like your first five years are like really what develop How much you. love you get, what you are exposed to. If, you, if you're eating mm. something, I mean, yeah, first five years. And I, I can remember clear as day. I have a really impeccable memory. Um, in kindergarten, my teacher would always confuse two children um, and reprimand this one poor dude, oh, DJ, so <laughs> who honestly was a nice kid. His parents were really nice. I don't know what his home life was like, but he was kind of like Victoria. You know, he, he was crack- dope. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. He would crack jokes. He would be loud. And I mean, yeah. for goodness sakes, we were in kindergarten. Class we class. were five or six years old yeah. tops. Some were maybe even, maybe even four years old. And at the time, I was totally just, a teacher's pet, so I wouldn't dare speak out when I wasn't supposed to. Right. But I remember being cognitive of that situation. Yeah. She would always blame DJ, even if it was Anthony, Ugh. you know? And my mom brought it to my attention recently. She was like, you remember that DJ kid? And I was like, yeah, you know, he wound up getting suspended in middle school for bringing sugar to school and saying it was cocaine. Mm. And see, where do you think that 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 seed was planted? Yeah, that anything he did, kid. he was bad. You know, might as well own up to it, right? Might as well breed into that. And, and who's to say that his home life right, home or his parents, his societal influences right. didn't attribute to it's that? It's not the teacher's fault, totally. But, but <laughs> she definitely could have done a better better job of of. Um, but she was getting underpaid, and she was paying sure. out of pocket. And, and from see, it's a vicious cycle. And from what I understand, she's still teaching at the same school. So she clearly has tenure or something right. at this point. Well, but think about those teachers that you didn't like. Those teachers, mm. those classrooms that you dreaded being in. Where the, the energy was just it's cold. Just cold and rigid. And it's because they see these young, bright little saps just harboring information and they're old and decrepit and they've been working in a job that has literally destroyed them and offered them no love and support or any i sympathize with those teachers every teacher that i was mean to as a class clown i say you say say mean just because i was so dis disgruntled by the way i was treated by teachers for being my personality you know um i i sympathize with them because 
they struggle harder than any other job. I really do believe it. And they're not set up for success. We're not set up for success as students. If educators and students aren't set up for success, how can anyone thrive? How can anyone be successful? How can America do better when no one's putting in the funding or the effort or the support? Because it's just a bunch of rich white dudes that have it made. We all feel like there's a lot that needs to change. And I think that, totally. you know, the fact that we're all aware of the problems... Is step one. Is step one, yeah. Admitting there's a problem. That's step always, two or three, even. Yeah. You know? And I think that, you know, organizations... I'm going to keep plugging Changes Ours because we are partnered with them. But they're just wonderful. And I think that what they're doing is is going to ripple across the globe um and i already know that there are other organizations like changes ours that you know maybe they have one thing that they're focusing on but you know getting involved with community outreach organizations um volunteering your time and and really taking the time to educate yourself. Become your own teacher. Become your own doctor. Become an autodidact. Someone that learns how to create, to educate for themselves and for those around them. Connection, sustainability, creation. Those are all things that Changes Ours is promoting. Information about anything is at our fingertips. And while I'm terrified... <laughs> of technology and all the scary things that Hollywood and and media has instilled fear in me, I think it's important to remember that technology is so powerful and it's a great platform and tool for education and for yourself. So I'm going to segue over to a reoccurring segment that one of our producers, Ian Pitts, is going to speak about. He loves all things future he's also very artistic he's our engineer and our he's producer pretty much everything ian pitts is our producer engineer musical genius artistic and- guru <laughs> and i'm really lucky that he's also my boyfriend i'm just gonna be jumping on each uh each podcast just to tag on at the end Um, for technological positivity and with technological positivity it's more just about projections about the next 50 to 100 years of humanity you know I think that a lot of people with the negative connotations of technology they get so caught up in this like luddite or anti-tech mentality robots are gonna take over right you Uh, know uh, like the classic terminator scenarios i robot For sure. But since we're talking about education, um, and this is our first podcast, I was Woo! just going to give some some positive examples and you know some things that really give me hope because I think we really have to keep hope for humanity. And uh, you know, if, if we're going to achieve or we're going to continue to exist in the universe or on planet Earth <laughs> or on the vibe, um, we definitely have to have this this hope. And so I guess the first thing I want to talk about is uh, Nicholas Negroponte. And Nicholas is the director of the Media Lab at MIT. Back in the 80s, he made the prediction that people are going to essentially be able to buy books and you know music and videos off the internet. And everyone was like, oh, you're crazy. That's you know pretty far-fetched. 
in 2014, he did a TED Talk. They asked him to make another prediction about, you know, the next 30 years. And his prediction was that people are going to be able to ingest knowledge. There will literally be a way to eat <laughs> your education. This blows my mind. Yeah, it sounds, you know, sci-fi and like far-fetched, but um, with the advances of chemistry and specifically biochemistry and as well as quantum physics, there'll be essentially a way that when you ingest this knowledge, a chemical reaction will happen to create the synaptic firings in your brain that essentially makes you learn something. Quantum physics. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's uh, that's like a kind of pie-in-the-sky kind of scenario that we can learn just by eating things. But a, a little more realistic initiative that uh, Nick is involved in is something that Peter Diamandis talks about as well in his book Abundance. And it's about connecting the last billion. And what he means by that is essentially right now in the world, there's around a billion people who still don't have internet. Nicholas Negroponte has an initiative called One Laptop Per Child. He's trying to make it to where every child has a laptop. It gives them the portal to to learn. You know, the internet is a incredibly powerful learning tool. And it's something that I have used. I have a kind of rocky educational history. Yeah, tell us about that, Ian. I really only graduated high school. And... The reason why I felt so, had such disdain for education was because I felt like I was being told what to learn and not how to learn. That's why after high school, you know, I went straight into working with my family and uh, we started a chocolate company um, that's doing well now. And that's my kind of day job, day to day income. But the reason why I didn't feel like I wanted to attend a traditional college was because I felt like it would still just be, you know, fact-based learning that I wasn't directing what I was learning through the internet. It began with YouTube tutorials, but going on to paid education as well with online classes. I've, you know, learned graphic design, digital painting, audio engineering, music theory. And through what platforms? One of the big ones now is Linda, and it's mm. sponsored and actually founded by uh, LinkedIn. You can get certifications through that platform that actually have clout with employers now. And so that's a really great way. And you can legitimately get certifications and even degrees online nowadays. You sometimes don't even have to pay for them. Right. Like uh, Coursera has a lot of free education that are college level courses. And so giving these children, whether they're um, mostly not American, but but children all over the world, the ability to tap into this this wellness, this this uh, source of information, they're able to take on the, the world, really, and be, be the change for their generation. Right. And, and that's what we've seen across the board is the ability for children to adapt to technology is so rapid that it's hard to really grasp the speed at which humanity could progress. You know, I think that the outdated infrastructure that we've created with our educational system, especially in America, is going to start to crumble in the advent of 
AI-based learning and machine learning. The example I kind of like to think about is Spock in the Star Trek movies. You know, he's in his learning pod where he has an artificial intelligence that directs his learning. You know, with this, you could also make it to where with machine learning, the computer or your laptop learns how you learn and it plays to your strengths. You know, you were talking about everyone has a, a way that they like to learn or they are best at. Mm. It could be that we shift away from this fact-based learning where you're learning this rote memorization of tons of things. Like we don't really necessarily need that going to the future. Like Google has got that covered. Like basically anything you want to know, you can just Google the fact of it. What we need is problem solving and creative progress to where somebody can explore or take a certain set of parameters and then make something out of it or solve a grander problem. And I think it's easy to get into the dismantling idea of the education system, of breaking it down by its faults and what's wrong with it. But just as a futurist proposition mm-hmm. for education, <laughs> you know, the most ideal future that we could imagine is one where everyone's needs in in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, their health and shelter and food are taken care of to where it's an environment that's conducive to learning. And I think even now that's one of the huge shortcomings, you know, with the health and, you know, the the food that is served in the cafeterias and, and things like that. If we could get to a point as a society that, you know, those things are a human right, basically, like food should be a human right, then we can focus on, you know, bigger and better things. It's it's never going to get to that point until education is accessible to everyone equally and they are on a strong, stable foundation in order to capitalize upon it. So to wrap up, Ian... How would you encourage our listeners to tap in to technology in a way that is for the betterment of education? Definitely letting go of your fear of technology is is one of the first steps because people are going to leverage technology either way. And if you are just continually afraid of it and recoil from it, the people who embrace it are going to progress much faster than you. And I think that's how we get to a dystopian future that has been portrayed in a variety of media outlets and films. And literature. And literature. But I think if we can all focus on it and really learn about it and how we can leverage it to our personal betterment, Mm -hmm. then that's the way that we progress forward as a single united humanity yeah and so yeah i think the main thing is just letting go of your fear of it i know you're looking at me right now i can see your eyes gazing through my soul okay (laughs) i'll let go of my fear of technology and not assume the worst Well, and i i think with education especially a lot of parents have a negative connotation with gaming and i think and some girlfriends do too right right and it can be a really you know, a negative thing for someone's life. You know, I think there's a lot of really violent video games out there. But, you know, Obama has put forth, you know, initiatives to create educational video games. And 
I think that that's a route that people can definitely embrace, and there's a lot to be learned from the economies that are set up by video games. Obama sure. is on the vibe. Obama is the vibe. <laughs> Obama, <laughs> Obama, the, Obama, Obama, Mama, Mama vibe. For real. But yeah, at the end of the day, just letting go of fear. Well, I think that can be the answer to a lot of the things that we're going to cover on this podcast. Totally, is, in general. Is like embracing the unknown and and letting go of the fear that you have. Not only embracing the unknown and letting go of fear, but embracing your fear mm. and letting go of the unknown. There you <laughs> in go. that sense. The duality face, of yeah, life. Face you know? your fear. Own it. Make out with it. Mm. Make it your best friend. And then you'll know discomfort. And then you'll know comfort in the discomfort. Mm. Amen. Well, thank you, Ian. Thank you, Ian. Yeah, thank you so much. And thank you all for tuning in to our very first episode of On On the the Vibe. Vibe. (laughs) We're so grateful for those of you who are listening now, years from now, Thousands of years from now in a time capsule in space. In space with, as a hologram. Who knows where <laughs> our world will be if we continue to educate ourselves to be better. Shift for a better tomorrow. Yeah. And if, uh, <laughs> yes. if you want to catch another perspective of what we were talking about today, um, Super, Supernova Jazz is breaking down what stay woke means on a cultural level, on an educational level, and on a personal level. So definitely hop over to Shift a Culture and listen to all of their podcasts because who knows how many episodes they'll have by the time you listen to this one. <laughs> Technology is great. And again, thank you for tuning in to On the Vibe. It feels good to be tapped in. <laughs>